Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton and Kelly Barner with you here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, it's Dial P for procurement once again. Kelly, how are you doing? I am doing great, Scott. How are you? We are doing wonderful. You know, we, we already knocked out all of our cheesy jokes in the green room with our outstanding panel. So my inventory is running a little bit low, but but we'll see. Oh, got don't great- you worry. It'll just <laughs> fill itself right back up. <laughs> we have got a great conversation here today. Of course, Style P for Procurement is presented jointly with our friends over at Buyers Meeting Point. And today, Kelly, today we're going to get the secrets out to what it takes to build supply chain resilience, right? Which is so funny because if you've been anywhere except under a rock for the last 18 months, all you've heard about is supply chain risk and resilience, right? Every single one of us has faced funny questions from relatives. You know, we've seen it on every single newspaper, but I think the point we're going to make today is that there's very different way that general people in society might think about the supply chain and respond to what they read versus how trained professionals with the right kind of tools approach the challenges that it leads to. Outstanding. I'm, I'm with you. And you know, if, you, if you're if you sick of hearing about supply chain risk this year, just wait because yeah. next, <laughs> next year it's going to be fivefold, sixfold. It, it's the name of the game these days, right? It absolutely is. And it's, you know, it's good and bad, right? Because it's raising the visibility of everybody in the profession. It's giving companies a huge opportunity to really strut their supply chains, but it is also constant. So the challenges are very real. So absolutely, this is going to set us up to be ready for 2022. Wonderful. All right. So the last thing we want to do before we bring on our guests here today, uh, and we're going to be featuring Bill and Constantine with Risk Methods, so y'all stay tuned, is let's recognize a few of the folks that have already joined us here. So the one and only Jeff Ostrander is back with us. Now, Jeff was a guest. uh, I want to say Jeff was a guest in one of the earliest Style P shows, right? He was. I believe he was number two. Number two. And he he had his graphics team. Cutting edge graphics team with us in the episode too, right? Yeah, he sure did. He came prepared with artwork. We've never done (laughs) dial P arts and crafts, but Jeff was ready. We were like, yeah, we don't do slides. This is a live stream. He's like, oh, that's okay. I bring my own. I just (laughs) always ready. I think he constructed it as we were having the conversation. (laughs) So he is a wonderful guest and, and beyond his sense of humor and his, uh, um, uh, in the moment, uh, resourcefulness. He yes. is a heck of an expert on all things procurement and supply chain related. Jason says, wait, no cheesy jokes. No, no, oh, don't leave, man. Jason. Stay. <laughs> he didn't mean it. There will be cheesy jokes. That is right. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, hey, Jason, let us know where you're tuned in from. Of course, you're on LinkedIn, and we'd love to know where you're watching us. Uh, Clay, Diesel, Phillips, Diesel, uh, Kelly, you know why, right? The engine. Absolutely. Never stopped running with Clay. Great to see you here, uh, the dog. His UGA team is having quite a season, Kelly. That's dog with a WG. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Clay, we're going to convert Kelly before she knows. How about that? (laughs) Phil Addison with a dear friend and art of procurement, uh, amongst other things. Phil's with us in the house today, Kelly. Always glad to have him. 
Always glad to have Phil. Now, you know, on that note, uh, the 2022 Supply Chain and Procurement Awards, a global affair, has been rescheduled to uh, May 18th. Uh, of next year. And and folks, while we, we've got you here, we'd love for you to go check it out at uh, supplychainprocurementawards.com. And we can drop that link in the comments. But the reason, Kelly, we wanted to uh, have more lead time is we want to really make that event to be very educational about this travesty that's actually increasing uh, global slavery across uh, the global business world. It's, it's terribly sad. And that lack of awareness is one of the big challenges, right? Oh, it absolutely is. And you talk about risk and consequences and all of those things. It literally puts a face on the problem. And it's something all supply chain professionals have an opportunity to address. That's right. So we partnered with uh, the, the wonderful nonprofit mm-hmm. Hope for Justice organization, and along with Buyer's Meeting Point and Phil with Art of Procurement and Supply Chain Now. So mark your calendar, May 18th. Uh, we're going to um, celebrate successes across global business, really with great purpose. So Phil, great to have you here today. Christopher is with us from Detroit, the resurgent Detroit. Hello, Christopher. He's listened to the podcast for quite some time, but first time viewing. Christopher, that is wonderful to have you. You won't Uh, ever want to go back to not being with us live. The podcast (laughs) is great, but being here live, it's such an event. That is right. And we want to hear from you today, right? Throughout, as we have the conversation with Bill and Constantine, we've got a lot of supply chain goodness to walk through and procurement goodness to walk through on today's uh, show. Uh, but hey, we want to hear from you as we work our way through it. And let us know what the temp is up in Detroit. And I'm not talking about the Lions. Uh, <laughs> I think there, <laughs> it might be cold in Detroit, but it is colder in that Lions organization. Hey, I'm just all in good fun, Christopher. Great to have you here today. Uh Marin, Maran, maybe Maran. Uh, hello from snowy Ooh, Montreal. And some winter. No kidding. Getting ready for the holidays up there. Okay. Uh, Rich Brown, one last one here. Hey there from the 2021 Major League Baseball Championship City. And we're talking about home of the Braves, Atlanta, GA. Rich, great to have you back with us here today. Okay. Welcome, everybody. I know we couldn't get to it to all, uh, all the folks here today, but great show teed up. Kelly, are we ready? to introduce our esteemed panel. We absolutely are ready. All right. So I got to, you know, Christopher, this is the first time he's joined us for uh, a um, a live stream. So, hey, he <laughs> got to make, uh, complete the circle. No Lions talk here. Hey, Christopher, I won't reference the Lions any further. Hey, don't forget, while the Atlanta Braves are setting, you know, set the world afire, Falcons haven't. So we're, 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 uh, <laughs> we're copacetic with you here today, Christopher. Great to have you. All right, so let's introduce Kelly. If it works for you, let's introduce our wonderful guests here today. We had a, a heck of a time in the green room before going live here today. want to welcome in Bill DiMartino, Chief Product Officer and Managing Director of the Americas with Risk Methods, and his colleague, Constantine Limbarakis, Senior Director of Product and Solutions Marketing with Risk Methods as well. Hey, hey, Constantine, Bill, how are we doing? Terrific, Scott. Thanks for having us today. Great. Thank you. You bet. Well, you see that we, uh, the the first five or six minutes kind of ran the gambit, all kinds of things from football to weather to risk. And we're really delighted to have you both here with us today. Fantastic. So on that note, Kelly, uh, you know, we've been talking, we've, we've discovered that food is a universal love amongst our global extended network and, and community and VFAM, right? Virtual family. So, Bill and Constantine, if it's okay with you, we'd like to chat a little bit about food on the front end. Are y'all game? Absolutely. All right. So, I want to set the table here. 
So we heard from our Wait a friend, minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, yes. Was that a cheesy dad joke? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I just kind of came out. Uh, in fact, okay, Kelly, I'm just going to tune down my calibration then. I was worried about your cheesy dad jokes, and then you were going to set the table so we could talk about food. Okay, just, <laughs> all right, proceed. I'm just checking. All right, good. Thank you very much. So <laughs> we heard from Gene Pledger uh, in the last <laughs> week or two. Now, Gene is from LA, lower Alabama, and he ventured up Chicago and had ate at a couple of wonderful places, including this was at uh, Harry Carey's restaurant which looks like shrimp and filet. And then, of course, Giordano's uh, for the best deep dish pizza, I don't think, all of, all of the world, all of the land. So, Gene, thank you for sending us those shots. So, with that as the standard uh, and setting the bar there, Bill, you're from the Boston area, and that is home to a wonderful culinary scene as well. I know right now you're in Germany, but you hail from Boston. What do you love about the Boston food scene? Hmm. Well, the Boston food scene's uh, been difficult to get to uh, of late, uh, but I came from Connecticut, and I've always been a very big pizza eater. Um, okay. Somewhat, I, I, I think picky, uh, and uh, I, I, my heritage is Neapolitan, as Constantine will probably elaborate on <laughs> what that means in more detail later, but um, there is an excellent pizza tradition in New Haven, Connecticut, which followed me up to Boston, which was searching for the perfect pizza that's thin, slightly burnt, and sticks to traditional recipes. So there's a few of those places in Boston if you know where to go and what to seek out. Wonderful. And what I wanna... showed before, it's food, but I wouldn't <laughs> call it pizza. <laughs> okay. <Ooh. laughs> All right, man. Uh -oh. Hey, Gene Pledger, if you're with us here today, uh, them's fighting words. All right, so Bill, one quick follow up. What yes. uh, do you want to name? And in, 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 don't feel compelled, but do you want to drop your the name of your favorite restaurant that offers the Bill DiMartino approved pizza? Well, my favorite place isn't in Boston, so that makes it challenging. Ah, uh, New Ah New Haven is where. New okay, Haven, gotcha. Yeah, I got so you. If, if you're in New Haven, the, the the best place to go is Pepe's, ah. which is is something that I grew up on. Uh, if you're in Boston. I am partial to Centarpios. Um, so it's, it's in East Boston. It's a little bit off the beaten path, but it's worth your trip. I love that, Bill. And Kelly, I want to say we heard Centarpios, I think if I said that right, uh, after one of our last dial peas uh, from a, a gentleman. Up, uh, has Centarpios been around for like 100 years, Bill? It's been around for, I think, 70 or 80, yeah. I bet it's the same place. Good stuff. We'll have to dive in deep. Um, so, Bill, thank you for humoring us with your. There's another one, Kelly. Oh, good pickup, Constant. See, now we're all listening for it. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you what, ever, ever feel like you're being targeted and uh, cornered? But, Constantine, you're going to fit right in with us. I love it. Uh, we enjoyed our pre show. So, now, Constantine, a little different here. Yeah. You uh, are from Chicago, and, you, and you're, I think you're in Chicago now. Yes. So, uh, an all-world city from a variety of perspectives. But let's talk food. What's your What's your go-to if you want to? If you have visitors come in to Chicago, where do you take them, and where you can just wow them? Well, it depends on how ethnic they want to get. Right? We've got a Greek town, we've got Little Italy, we've got Chinatown. Depends on what they want. But I have to say, my go-to if they really want just to get it all greased up is go to Portillo's. You got to get the Italian beef. Ooh. Man, that sounds delicious. Um, one or two? 
Oh, one is enough. <laughs> yeah, it's like a family. Unless you want like the Chicago style hot dogs, you know, that's got every ethnicity in it, right? You got the peppers and you've got the green, the, the neon green, radioactive green oh. uh, relish, so all of that. So yeah, that's just, oh, man. It's the go-to for me if you know that you're going to ha- have people satisfied. All right, so my vote is we do we do a Dial P Roadshow next year, Kelly. We'll scoop up Bill in Boston, head north and hit uh, – uh, the uh, the place in New Haven, right? And then we're gonna pep. I think Pepe's, and then we'll we'll head over uh, west and wrap up with uh, Italian beef in Chicago with Constantine. Sound yeah, like we a can do a little food truck road race thing, right. dial P wrap around the country. <laughs> right. All right. So Kelly, before we continue, I want to share just a couple of quick comments here. Going back to football, Jeffrey is a big Cincinnati fan. I didn't know that. So they've got that bye week redemption. I think this week that, that they they're having an undefeated season as well. Uh, Peter missed the start of our conversation. He continues. This is the hardest working guy, Peter Bole, all <laughs> night and all day. Uh, he has project after project whenever he's not saving the world from a procurement standpoint. Maria is tuned in via LinkedIn from the Philippines. Welcome, Welcome Maria. Maria. Great to see you here today. Peter says he was hungry and in a pinch had a slice of Costco pepperoni after shopping before dinner. Bill, uh, <laughs> we, we, we'll compare and contrast those pizzas after today's show. <laughs> and Stacy is tuned in from Zambia once again via LinkedIn. Great to have you here, Stacy. And and Gene, we were just talking about a second ago. Uh, we shared your your images from uh, your culinary adventures up in Chicago. Great to have you here today. Okay, so Kelly, where are we talking next with Bill and Constantine? So we're just going to start to talk a little bit about supply chain risk. Now, this doesn't matter if you're in procurement or if you actually have a supply chain title. If the number one phrase in 2020 was you're on mute, probably the number (laughs) two phrase or question was, why can't I find any toilet paper? So given that you guys are not only in supply chain, but focus in supply chain risk, I'm guessing that there's been a couple of family conversations or casual questions about supply chain where people assume you have answers that you couldn't possibly have. Um, So Constantine, let me start with you. Have you had anybody ask you a funny question about supply chain that you could not remotely have the answer to based on what you actually do? Uh, Yeah, it's, it's crazy. People thinking like, you're going to know, you know, what's going to happen next. And, you know, where, where, you know, why are, why are all these things going on? I don't know. It's just such a hard question to answer, Kelly. It's just even even trying to explain. I, I'll tell you this: it's, it's, I think the key here is trying to explain to your your college daughters what supply chain risk management is. <laughs> that that takes it to a whole other level. So yeah, I, I you know just try to make sure they understand the context. Right? It's like why is this stuff going on, and how do you manage that? Well, we use this AI tool, and then and then you lost them. So it's. Uh, <laughs> That's kind of something. They just want to know where their Amazon package is, Constantine. They don't actually want to know what's happening off Long Beach. No, no, no. Just where's my box? Exactly. I could attest to that. I had I had a a set of boxes in my garage, five feet high by six feet wide, of Amazon boxes before they went off to college. So absolutely spot on. (laughs) How about you, Bill? Any funny questions you could not remotely have the answer to? Well, mine was much closer to home. We were building a house and I failed in many uh, capacities, which my wife didn't understand. Our solution is supply chain risk management. And I tried to employ risk management techniques by delaying the move out date where uh, to a point where I thought there'd be significant buffer. And then when the house was further delayed because materials weren't there, my wife turned to me and asked, 
the supply chain failed. Why didn't you pick up on that and help them? And why didn't you employ proper risk management techniques? So it was a challenging situation. Um, my inability to answer those questions. Bill, did you put together a PowerPoint and sit down and have a, you know, a, a, a wrap up call with your wife for that project? Uh, it was more gifting, Scott, and, and things like that. <laughs> okay. All right. Awesome, Bill. Smart um, man. It is. Uh, so, Kelly, and I couldn't imagine uh, buying a house. When did that, uh, if I could ask you one quick follow up, when did that project wrap up, uh, Bill? The house it wrapped up uh, June of this year. Whew. Yeah. Man. I bet you could write a book on those your experiences with that. It was it was painful. All right. <laughs> well, moving right along yeah. from there, Kelly, to more around uh, uh, deeper dive into yeah. risk management and what we're seeing in supply chain and really beyond. So, where, where are we going next, Kelly? So, we're actually going to talk about how risk management has or hasn't changed. So, Bill, just to, to stay with you, how has the practice of risk management, not necessarily how we talk about it, but the actual practice of risk management, how has it changed over the last couple of years? Yeah, so I think the, I would say it's been a gradual evolution and then a bang. And I think the change is, is historically, everyone has been thinking about and doing different types of risk management techniques, right? It's not like this is a new idea. But what's changed is everyone is looking at more types of risk and looking at them for more entities. So before it was, these are my key suppliers. I'm going to worry about financial health and maybe a little bit of compliance and that'll be enough. And now it's threats can come from anywhere. Any one of my suppliers can stop my production line or impact my brand image. So I need to basically expand everything at the same time. Yet I'm not given any more people or any more time to get that job done. So now, what do I do? And that's, I think, the challenge that many folks are faced with right now. And it's funny because even facing that new scope and scale of challenge, I know Risk Methods has done some research with Hackett Group and not a surprise, uh, you know, almost 80% of people are still using Excel spreadsheets to attempt to manage risk in the supply chain. Doesn't scale particularly well. Um, have you seen a change in mindset towards bringing technology into that practice? Or are we sort of like so much is changing, we're just going to cling to those spreadsheets and refuse to embrace anything new? Yeah, so I, I think the change is is happening and it's, it's scale, scope, but it's yeah. also a timeliness factor. How can I keep up with everything? I can't do Google search 24 by 7 on oh. 10,000 suppliers, sort through all the responses and find out what's appropriate to me. And I can't marry all of these threats that are going on around the globe with the impacts of my supply chain. And so the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was undoubtedly the pandemic because of the, the compounding risks and the connectedness of all of the, the threats. And so technology is really the only chance we have. And as Constantine mentioned, you know, really using artificial intelligence to identify what's relevant to you and specific to the actors or the entities in your supply chain is is really um, part and parcel for how to go forward from here. Absolutely. But then, Constantine, where does that leave supply chain practitioners and, and risk managers, right? I mean, have people taken a shot to their confidence? What can people do to make sure that their confidence level is where it needs to be in order to handle what is going to continue to be an onslaught of supply chain risk issues for us to address? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I think it kind of comes down to what you're, where, where you're getting your information. 
And, you know, in the bottom line is, is if we think about our day-to-day routine, right? What are we doing? We're looking at our phones or we're reading articles constantly just imbibing all this stuff, right? So from a confidence standpoint, I would think it's like, well, how do I make sure? And I think, Bill, you were intimating at this a little bit getting the right information that's relevant so that I know that every time I go to that source or that technology, that it's spot on. And I'm not worrying about, Ooh, is this, is this the right data? I mean, how often have we gone to like spreadsheets, right? And you're like, yeah, I think I'm going to go back and look at that and do another pivot table. Cause that data doesn't look right <laughs> to me. Right. Yeah. And I think that's just it. It's just the confidence. And I think this, this power of computing and, you know, we throw AI kind of cheaply around, but, you know, sometimes people think of it, it's like, well, what do I do? How do I manage it? Well, that's just it. It's the power of the computing. It's pulled it in, it's pulled the data in, and it's creating this relevance for me to go back to and say, I trust this source. I'm going to keep going back to it because that's why I know that I'm going to go to it again. And I think that that's the confidence right there. I love that. Uh, hey, Kelly, really quick, let me share a couple of quick comments before we keep right. on driving there. And, and with confidence, you can move mountains, especially if confidence in the data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Constantine, hey, especially if you've got confidence in the data and there's alignment in the data, right? I think the other challenge with spreadsheets, to your point, Kelly, is everyone's got one. And so yes. oftentimes everyone's got different data, right? And then that leads to, to, to the rabbit holes of kind of work, figuring out where everybody got their data from. So I want to show this from Stacy. I agree with Bill. Risk management has been gradual. And then a bang in the past two years. And now we're scaling and scoping the risks in a much more wider perspective. Jeff talks about having alternate models, kind of the what if, based on your region of operations. And it's great tools out there like Supply Chain Guru. Peter says, repeat after me, diversify your supplier base. Simple as that. A balanced portfolio will help to keep you secure and then nurture those relationships. One final one, Sylvia says, you're hitting the nail on the head. Confidence and AI solutions is going to be key. Okay, Kelly, no shortage. Um, Constantine and Bill are really, uh, everyone's juices is going here. So we're, what are we going to talk with them about next? We're actually going to take our lead from our friend Peter Ballet. So Constantine, when it comes to suppliers, right, can we manage supply chain risk alone or is it more of a, you know, it takes a village kind of a thing to address the scale of the risks that we're seeing now? Yeah, I I, th- I think it you know it always it takes it takes different approaches, right? I mean, you know, this taking a village is how coordinated is the village, right? You, you know, I think that's part of the key. That, that's been the big challenge is, is making sure that there's an alignment and aligning around a common goal, aligning around what you're trying to manage in terms of whether it's resilience or just trying to manage the risks at hand. And I think that that's that's part of the challenge, right? Making sure you have a common way of talking, a lingua franca, if you will, across the board to say, this is what we're doing. This is how we're managing our supply chain processes. And that I think is, a, you need that baseline in order to, to really be able to to create change and make sure that you're, 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 you're not missing something that someone might be thinking in, in, in a tribal way, right? In their, in their isolation, uh, having a common language, I think is really critical. But, but to that point about sort of thinking tribally, and, and I know this is an incredible procurement stereotype, but it's an old one and a tested one for a reason, especially when we're under pressure, we have a tendency to think, I'm not sure how much I should discuss with my suppliers because, you know, knowledge is power. And if I say too much, then I'm going to undermine my future negotiating leverage or I'm not going to seem like and as appealing of a business partner. How honest can we or should we be with suppliers when we're trying to assess and address risk? 
Well, I, I think this is this is kind of this new normal. I mean, we were kind of hinting at it, this thing with COVID, right? This ability to to like share information is I think essential for just survival. It's become this pivotal point where you can't share everything all the time, but the ability to share a common language or a common view of things and say, by me helping you, it's going to help everybody else. And having the technology to do that and being able to have this collaborative approach now is, I think, really a part of that. And I think that's, ta- that's changing the game. And that's really a, one of the things that we're, we're talking about here at Risk Methods is taking this collaboration to a new level. And it's not just saying, oh, I know something you don't. It's share this with me so we have an ability to be more impactful and ever present in, in, the, in the ability to be resilient. And you actually had data to back this up, right? I mean, that same research I was talking about before, over a third of companies that implemented tools for supply chain risk management actually saw a correlated increase in supplier performance. Not necessarily suppliers saying that they're happier or that they consider them a customer of choice, but performance measurably went up. Um, So, Bill, when we think about that, do you think people in procurement and supply chain are doing a better job collaborating. I mean, for so long, we've talked about supplier relationship management, right? As being SRM, not supplier performance management, relationships. We talk relationship, but we actually execute performance. Have we learned our lesson? I mean, are we really and truly getting more relational and having trust-based engagements with our suppliers now? I think we're learning it. I I think we've gotten past middle school, maybe. Um, (laughs) Maybe. Depends on the day. You know, and I I think we're not really given a choice anymore across a number of dimensions. One is technology is lifting the veil on all the data that we were trying to hide before and who all your suppliers are. There's lots of different ways of of trying to figure that out. Um, Two is regulation and policy and compliance topics are mandating this, this level of sharing and transparency. And, and the fact that the top of the food chain organization is now responsible across the supply chain means that, that they have to cooperate, share, and trust. And we, if you look back at some of what happened when we went through the whole evolution of all the ESG topics, you saw a lot of people, a lot, I'm sorry, larger organizations were empowering, teaching, training, measuring, assessing, setting expectations for their suppliers because they weren't exactly sure what they needed to do. And that level of ownership and guidance and really, you know, leadership uh, of of the supply network, I think is something that's going to happen as well in the whole risk topic, which is what is expected? How do we cooperate? What should I be doing? I don't have the resources and the knowledge and the expertise that you have. Maybe you can help me to get there. And in so doing, we start to do this collaborate collaboration thing better than we were before. All right. I want to share a couple of quick comments here. You know, anytime you bring up spreadsheets, we get about 1800 comments, which I love. Uh, Dimitri though has a great comment. The use of spreadsheets can be tied closely to two factors. One, the maturity of the risk program and two, control the data and concerns around securities when dealing with third party tools. This is from his experience. Great comment there, Dimitri. Thank you. Dimitri. Uh, Definitely. Uh, let's see here. Jeff says, strong push towards low-cost low country, blinded some to risk of a single zone of supply. Global alternatives need to be cultivated and built, especially not overnight. It's next impossible to do any of that overnight, right? Um, Peter, not sure if it was 
blinding or simply profit driven by leadership. Make the money now and figure it out later. Uh, but he's seen it over and over again. Let's push out the work this quarter and cover it the next quarter. I called it, Peter says, chasing the solution in a meeting and was admonished for it. But there's a story there, Peter. Stupid is as stupid does. You will always have to pay the piper. Peter puts it as it is each and every time. Great to have you here, Peter and Jeff uh, and Dimitri. Okay, Kelly, always a lively conversation. Uh, I hate that we only have an hour of Bill and Constantine. I feel like we could we could um, um, build quite the masterpiece. There's so much more here. But where are we going next uh, related to our conversation with supply chain risk? Yeah, so I have one more question for these guys around collaboration before we kind of move on and start talking about actionable visibility. Um, so here's here's the big question to me. Things are starting to go a little bit more back to normal. We're still dealing with supply chain disruptions and challenges, but at least in terms of a COVID impact, things are starting to kind of roll again. How can we start to relax a little bit? Because you can't sustain that sort of panic response all the time. How can we start to relax a little bit without letting our guard down or going back to old practices, right? So Bill, some of these habits, like we talked about with being clingy around information or not wanting to have to trust those supply relationships, how can we guard against going back to old habits? Any advice there? Yeah, I think uh, learning lessons might help. So, you know, one of the uh, topics that I hear over and over again from our customers was the success of the war room concept. And and well, what does that mean? And, and, and we've been successful mitigating disruptions and limiting the impact. And why is that? You know, there's a couple of reasons. And, you know, we, we call this the, the prepared will prevail, keeping on the P and clearly preparedness is a big part of it. But if you look under the covers of why these war rooms are so successful is you've brought together all of the stakeholders that need to be aligned to make decisions and make them quickly. And that is knocking down organizational barriers it's establishing that common source of truth that, that Constantine talked about so that you all can decide on this is the situation that we're in. This is the mitigation strategy that we're going to employ. And now let's go and act. And if you can achieve that alignment and keep that alignment going forward in terms of a structured approach to the topic and the planning, you're going to be in much better shape. Yeah. Uh, Decision making. Build those relationships later. Yep. Decision-making velocity. The, the things that you're speaking to right there allows you to move faster with more confidence that you're going to be making the writer, uh, the, the writer, the, the best decisions right, on the best aligned uh, data that folks feel good about. So I love that uh, example, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Constantine, any additional thoughts on how we don't relapse, how we cannot go back to those old habits? Well, I think if, if COVID's taught us anything, it's just that, you know, how, how fragile everything is at the instance. And one thing that I remember seeing a, a statistic back in 20, was it 2019? And they looked at this data point, I forgot who it was. And it basically said, what do you think is as big as disruption that's going to happen? And it was like, you know, earthquake and global warming and all this stuff. And way at the bottom was a pandemic. It was like, pandemic. Interesting. It's like, we're not, you know, black plague, it's a 1300s. It doesn't, you know, none of that happens anymore. Right. Who would have thought? So I think the lessons learned is, is just the fragility of things and how connected we have to be in terms of just understanding and constantly being in tune with what's going on. Just understanding the relationships, not only that are through the technology, but just human relationships. How are we maintaining these through these kind of digital technologies like we're you know, engaging in here? And I think that's the other lesson is just truly 
taking going a step beyond just trying to hide behind a screen and really understanding that is that much harder. So I think that's the lesson we've also learned is that you still need those human dynamics. I love that. And you know, uh, earlier in his response, Kelly Constantine mentioned the word um, fragility. And I'll tell you, I, I love that word and I love using that word rather than resilience. As we talked about a lot, a lot of here at Supply Chain Now, especially Greg, but I can't help every time I hear the word fragile and fragility, I think of the Christmas story, which is going to be played a thousand times <laughs> now in the end of the year. You mean uh, fragile? Yes, <laughs> that classic story. That's where my mind goes each and every time. And Peter, thank you for picking up on my um, my misstatements here. Yes, writer or the bestest decisions. We talk in the King's English, I guess. Um, all right, so uh, a lot of good stuff here. Maybe one, one, one quick add to this. Yeah, please. Yeah. I, I'm going back to, to the days when Kelly and I were working together. And if you look at the evolution, we all the comments have been about low-cost country sourcing and diversification. Look at the evolution of the procurement function started off as basically really starting to get strategic. We were doing sourcing events, and we were totally focused on cost. And we've gone through a TCO and a total value and now the biggest lesson learned is to factor in the cost of risk in your decisions. This is the ultimate lesson to ensure that your decisions include the cost of risk. And how do you define that risk? That's yeah. yes. That last comment is is not only a massive t-shirtism, but Kelly, I think that is one of the biggest takeaways that folks have to take and 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 take away. Imagine that from this conversation, right? Because it's not just a couple of things. As Constantine mentioned, when it comes to risk, it's how your organizations, how your leadership, how your shareholders, whatever, how they define that risk. Because while there might be some common elements from organization to organization, there's probably some, a lot of very unique elements to how we define risk, right? Yeah. Well, I think that is partially the power of that war room concept, though. Right? Part of it is in aligning everyone around what you can see and how you're making decisions and breaking down silos. But part of it is back to that point of confidence that we've talked about. And whether you're collaborating with other functional decision makers or whether you're actually working in a trust-based setting with suppliers, you can, in fact, do more when you don't feel like you're addressing a problem alone. I think that's incredibly important. Excellent point. Uh, I completely agree. Uh, baptize me in the first church of <laughs> Kelly Barner because you're making some great, excellent points. So, where we, so but, but we're going to be moving into... Visibility, yes. right? Visibility with Bill and Constantine. And before we do that, I want to mention Dr. Rhonda Bampenza Zimmerman is back with us here today. She was with us yesterday on that cyber, that digital transformers version of the supply chain buzz. But we're having some some commenting issues. So uh, Rhonda will look into that uh, between all the different platforms. Sometimes we've seen some LinkedIn snafus. So hang in there. Keep it coming. Hope this finds you well out in Arizona. Okay. So Kelly. Reverend Kelly Barner, where are we going next with Bill and Constantine? So we are going to talk about visibility and why it's important, but it's not enough. So first, quick procurement terminology primer. We hear all the time people don't love our terminology. So when we talk about getting multi-tier visibility, right, your first tier suppliers are your suppliers. They are the suppliers you pay and they give you stuff. Tier two is your supplier's suppliers. And it goes on and on and on. When you want to talk about everybody, it's the nth tier, right? Just using N as a placeholder. So Constantine, we keep pushing. We want deeper visibility. I want to know all the way back to the mine if it's metals, back to the source, right? If it's something that's being manufactured and, and kitted up. 
We're so focused on getting this visibility, but ultimately the value is in what we do with that visibility, right? right? So how can companies and teams start to make the leap from focusing to compile all this information and drill down and be able to see to actually being able and willing to act upon it? Yeah, that's that's the million dollar question, right? Like what do you... But you're going to answer it for us. Right? <laughs> that's, that's why we're all here. All right, well, no <laughs> multi-million dollar question. Well, you know, that I, I, we, we've, been, we've been asked that, you know, this is a, the question that's coming up a lot, right? About N-tier, multi-tier, how far down you want to go. At what point does that just become nonsense? Like it just, yeah. you just can't go that far. And I think it comes down to the question, the question that you're trying to answer. What is it that you're looking for? And I think I was alluding to this before in terms of what you what you want to share and what you want to get so that you have some type of relevance to how far down this this, this channel do you want to go. And I, I don't think we've we've really even solved that because this is not only a supply chain question, this has become a, a question behind regulation. You know, when you were, guys were hinting at it earlier about, you know, the human rights aspects and you're talking about, you know, I need to know where the tin tank tung, tungsten tantalum and gold are with this conflict minerals. You know, have we really figured that out? Well, what is it that you're trying to understand and allude to? So, you know, the way we look at it is it kind of goes back again to, you know, understanding what is it that 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 other party will get. It, you know, you could go off on your own. Like today, you can go off on your own and try to map everything and try to think that you have that figured out through business entities. I know Bill and I have talked about this. How do you look at through that that those structures? But at the same time, what's actually real and how real are those supply chains? And what are you really trying to track? And what's the relevance of that? You know, how, and it goes back then to knowing where those relationships are and what that really means to you. So again, how and, and why, it, 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 there's a lot of different ways to approach it. And I think it, it goes back to knowing what, what's the goal, what's the goal in you trying to track that end here. Um, you know, for manufacturing companies, it's going to be very different than say a services-based company and you can't do it at that same level. And so I don't think in the end, I don't know if I can provide one answer to that. And I think it really, it goes back to, it depends. I don't know, Bill, maybe you could, you could also take a, an allusion to that question. Cause that's, that's a loaded one, right? Yeah. That's, that's what he does. He passes the buck. <laughs> on the I actually think he made the question harder. No, he did. So yeah. you know, my take on it is, is I, I think about it from a category perspective, right? The, 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 the scope here is too large for us to have a broad, mm -hmm. this is the way you should do it. But I think organizations need to figure out, unfortunately, category by category, what is their risk appetite? What level of visibility do I need? Where do I want to invest my scarce resources on managing? And even trying to get visibility um, is the first task, I think, right? As opposed to saying, you know, I've had a couple of folks say to me, I just want to get subterranean visibility. Can you give me that so I can check the box for my board? That I have it, and, right. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not probably the, the right approach because you're not going to really accomplish anything. Yeah, but I can check the box. Um, in some categories, it does make sense to go really deep. But if, if it comes down to five mines, though, it's not about mapping the supply chain. You know what the five mines are. You can figure that out. You put them in into your systems and your solutions, and, and you watch them. Um, I think we just, uh, Constantine and I actually just uh, spent some time with Forrester do, doing a webinar, and we talked about 76% of the threats to disruption are going to be at tier one or tier two. So that kind of gives you a sense for where you should focus most of your energies, at least initially. Yep. And because once you get deeper than that, you're basically looking at industry maps, right? Yeah. There's no sense of relevance 
especially if you start getting into high tech and you work in some distributors um, and, and some value added resellers and all of a sudden things get really, really messy. Um, but so, I, I mean, my advice really is to figure out where you want to invest your efforts. And this is an opportunity for collaboration because uh, yep. really it's only your tier one suppliers that can tell you who in the tier two is really most relevant to you and impactful for what's going on. Um, and then from there, I think there's a lot of different ways that we can generate additional visibility. Um, but we have to think about, do we have the resources and the time to be able to manage and to do anything with that information as well? Yeah. Hey, Kelly, I'm going to yeah. uh, interject really quick. I want to point out, uh, we've heard a lot about this uh, 60 Minutes piece on freight expectations. I think it was maybe Sunday night or maybe over the weekend. And we've heard a lot in here. And Sylvia points out again talks about how it drilled down the current crisis in our global supply chain and the tendency to finger point, right? Rather than collectively finding a means to navigate there through the rough seas. So thanks for uh, for bringing that to our attention. Once again, I'll check it out uh, this evening. Andy, going back to uh, the question just a moment ago, it is the million dollar question, the trillion dollar question. What do we do with the data? We pay all this money to collect it, but what do we do with it, right? And Peter says, working towards the best solution for your organization that meets the business needs at the time. Nothing is ever perfect. Making a decision is what is needed. Okay, good stuff there. All right, so Kelly, where are we next with Bill and Constantine here? I'm actually going back before we go forward because yeah. I think, Bill, what you just shared is so important. I actually feel like we need to say it again. Share that statistic about what percent of the risks are in Tier 1 and Tier 2. About 76%. So I think when I think about what that actually means, right, because we're going to live by our own rules or we're going to not just be impressed by the statistic, which we are, but we're going to make it actionable. What you're actually saying is that three quarters of the time, the risk is a heck of a lot closer to us than we think. So if we get distracted, right, by saying, well, which mine, right, it's we may be building out more complexity for ourselves than we actually need. So it's about, you know, what do they say? Some huge percentage of accidents actually happen within like two miles of your house. And people are always shocked to hear that. That same principle kind of applies here, which on the one hand is very empowering because at tier one and tier two, there's an awful lot companies can do to partner with their suppliers. But on the other hand, it means there's an awful lot we need to be doing to partner with our suppliers to mitigate these risks, right? I think that is a huge piece of data that it's a lot closer to us. We think, oh, global, and we think ports, and we think all this stuff, you know, container ships and everything. But tier one and tier two, I mean, that's that's close. And, and so it really is, like you said, about on a category basis, making those decisions and setting those priorities, getting the visibility and acting on it. I, I'm going to jump ahead, Scott. If anybody takes anything away from this, it's a most of the risks are so much closer to home than any of us think. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so are we good? Can I move forward? Cause I know I want to uh, pick both Constantine's and Bill's brain around companies that are just starting their formal absolutely. risk management program. Or can I go ahead and share yeah, that? Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, it, it's hard to imagine um, any company just now starting their risk management journey but I bet there's companies, and of course, there's startups and early stage companies. But I bet a lot of a lot of companies, my hunch, I'll, I'll defer to the experts, 
that risk management for them may have been more informal up until recent years. And then they figure out how to really bake it into their overall strategy in a very formal way. But that's just my hunch, Constantine and Bill. Constantine, what advice would you give regardless to leaders and companies that are just starting their formal and you know building out that formal risk management program? Uh, I think the first thing I would tell them is just get an inventory of where you think all those things are. I think that, you know, different risk, and we were, I think we were alluding to this before, how are you defining risk? It depends on it's in the eye of the beholder. Risk to a contract person is going to be in the contract. It's going to be in the force mayor. Risk to a procurement person might be in the supply relationship. Risk to uh, a CFO is going to be, you know, am I going to hit my numbers? Are we going to hit the, the revenue target? So those are all the different aspects that are defining risk. So I think the, the, one of the best ways, and we're seeing this market evolve, is that there's a lot of different information about your supply base and your and your business partners out there. Take a good inventory of what you're currently using and then understand where you think you need to put in some finality to it. And it kind of goes back to, well, where are you going to start? Well, how do I know when a risk occurs? Is you got to make sure you know how am I gathering that information? How am I mitigating that? And how do I take that straight through? And I think if you could do that, that'll help you understand where you need to fill in those gaps. Sometimes that gap might be, I just don't have the right uh, process in place because I can't communicate with a, uh, the right survey with the supplier. How are we surveying our suppliers? In other cases, it might even just be, we don't even have a common view or map of where our suppliers are based. So I think that that's key to get them started. And then you'll start to see where those elements are that are inefficient that will then give you and convey to you what you need to do better. And I can guarantee you one of those biggest problems that you're going to keep seeing is harnessing all that information and putting all that data that you're hearing about your suppliers into one place to say, what is it when there's a risk that occurs? What do I need to do? How, who's taking action on that? And I think that would, that's mm-hmm. another way to start. Excellent advice. Practical advice there, Constantine. Bill, what would you add to that? So I, I think in, in the end, it's all about culture change. And, and the, the whole idea and concept is as opposed to being an afterthought, it's just an integral part to all of the decision-making that's happening, right? Risk management is not a standalone thing. It really needs to be a part of supplier onboarding and awarding decision. It needs to be part of the ongoing relationship management. And and we're actually starting to see it bubbling up onto the sales side of the house. It's now part of how you position and sell yourselves to your customers. Um, So to me, there's different ways that you can ensure that this culture change happens. Um, different techniques, establishing the source of truth that Constantine talked about helps people because it gives them a common language. Um, one of the techniques that we've seen that's been like super successful is you tell the category teams that um, we're going to take this risk measurement. And if your category has a certain threshold, you have to prepare a presentation to the head of supply chain, the head of the business unit, and explain why the configuration of supply chain is the way it is and what you're going to do about it. And I tell you what, you'll never see people become more proactive <laughs> in your life to avoid that presentation. Right. Um, but you know, we're really, really talking about changing a little bit job responsibilities and expectations. Um, all of those things will really help to move the organization forward. But in order to do that, you need to have a common way to measure it so that we all know that we can't really affect change unless we can see that the change is actually having an impact. So we have a, have a common measurement so that we can then see what we're doing and be able to um, keep people accountable for it. I love that. Uh, you know, one of the common themes I think we'll have throughout this conversation here today is, is back to definition 
you know, what it is, how we measure it to both of your points. You know, Charles Kettering, I think once said a problem well stated is half solved or something like that. And, you know, if, if we don't know what we're after, you know, we're not going, we're certainly not going to end up across the finish line as if there is ever a finish line in the, in the constant risk management uh, chase. Um, but Bill, as a follow-up, let's talk about commitment, right? Commitment. So what kind of commitment would you say companies ex- should expect to make before their confidence level reaches that place that they want it to be? So I, I think right now we're going to continue to tread water with the situation that we're in, right? I mean, there's there's really no there's no way around that. So that there's going to have to be a committed effort to, to stay afloat. But it's time to start diverting some resources to preparing for the future and mm-hmm. and you know, people have to allocate time and make it a priority. And I think what we're talking about is a reshuffling of time, right? So instead of spending 2x time later on mitigating the challenge, we're going to put in a little bit less time, but it's going to be an investment, right? This is now we're talking about making an investment. So instead of buying maybe the the, the new tool for the plant as an investment, in this case, we're going to invest in people's time and make their preparedness and the collaboration and all of those things part of what we're doing right now. That's the commitment that has to has to be there. And obviously that's got to come from the top down in order to relieve those people of their other priorities to make that uh, something that's important to the organization. Love that. Uh, all right. So uh, we're going to make sure folks know how to connect with Constantine and Bill and Risk Methods in just a minute. Kelly, I think we also want to mention a, a white paper that we want to put out there and, as a resource to folks. But if I can ask one more question, dumb question, as the non-risk management expert in the, in the formal discipline sense, right, with Constantine and Bill, when it comes to like a maturity model, as, as y'all kind of assess um, organizations' expertise and and overall success, I guess, of where they are in the current state, uh, how, can you can you shed any light on that? How you identify the companies you work with, you know, where they are, whether they're brand new, like we talked about a second ago, into establishing a formal risk management, or if they're you know, they've been doing it for years. Can, can y'all add any commentary there, Bill? Start with you. Yeah, um, actually, a topic of passion for me. So we. We, we, we're not a consulting company, but we have developed what we, we call our, our own maturity model for, for supply chain risk management. And the idea that we've really cultivated is not about maturity, but it's about understanding what are leading practices out there and what are the ones that make sense for my business that I should adopt. And it, the, the concept is we want to think in terms of visibility. We want to think in terms of resilience. And then what we've learned is you have to get your house in order, but once you have your house in order, what does it mean in terms of, I know you might not like it, Scott, but what does it mean in terms of network resilience? <laughs> and how right. can I foster my network, my ecosystem to think more holistically about this topic? Because in the end, I can't fix everything myself. And if I right. try to, I will go out of business. So how can I foster uh, the right mindset, the right capabilities and the right tools across uh, my supply ecosystem. I love it. And I love it. Your first part of the answer, which I think is gold. It doesn't matter how mature or how long you've been doing it. If it's not working, <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, all right. So one last comment on on Bill's uh, uh, reflections there, Constantine, before we make sure folks know how to connect with you. Anything to add? I, I would 
I would basically say that, you know, whatever he said is, <laughs> whatever he said is right. <laughs> I had to figure out the technology there. <laughs> yes. Hey, jo- join the crowd. We're all figuring it out, aren't we? Demo's Kelly. Awesome. Like a roadrunner. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, what a delight. Uh, time to move into the new year. The threats abound. Uh, the definition of what risks are is just, we're going to be dedicating full pages of the Funkin' Wagnalls Dictionary to uh, risk before we we blink. But Kelly, um, a lot of good stuff here. Let's make sure folks know how to connect with Bill and Constantine. Bill, how can folks connect with you? Oh, I'm out there. So yeah, obviously, you can, <laughs> anyone can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I love to have dialogues and conversations and uh, I look forward to, to uh, meeting with folks and connecting from this session. Wonderful. So connect with Bill on LinkedIn. Of course, you can also visit Risk Methods I'll actually pick that up. Constantine, how would you like people to reach out? One of these days, somebody's actually going to say like carrier pigeon or telegram. Um, So I'm going to go out on a limb and guess LinkedIn, but just to confirm, um, how should folks get in touch with you? LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, snail mail, email. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't want to go too far back, but yeah, absolutely. You're you're in the middle of the country, so you're easy to get to. Yeah. Railroad, you know, Chicago. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Everybody come on over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and just because we lost Scott as he was sharing it, I know we've been sharing the link to the white paper throughout. Um, the web address for Risk Methods is? www.riskmethods.net. Perfect. It's that net part I wanted to check on. The net. That is awesome. Well, thank you both so much, you guys, for being with me today. You're both old friends. It was terrific to have you on Dial P. I appreciate your time. And uh, thanks again to everybody also who joined us for the live stream. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. It's Scott, a we miss you already. Yes. <laughs> Have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. Same to you guys. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.